Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 68 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and today I'm going to break down the concept of self-acceptance, which really has two components, self-understanding and self-compassion. And this follows last week's episode on how to manage anxiety, and I realized that self-compassion is not as easy to do, and so I felt like we needed to dig a little deeper. Also, I want to share with you that I now have a new function in the show notes. You can leave me a voice message. Just go to the show notes of any episode and click on it, and you can record a voice message on your phone or computer. It will get to me, and if you have a question, it's a great way to ask me a question, and I might even include it in a future episode. So I would love to hear from you. So now, without further ado, here is episode 68. Self-acceptance leads to self-differentiation. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And his answer from verses 37 through 39 is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We understand this to be the greatest commandment, and I'm sure you have heard this before. And I think people of faith are pretty good at loving God. At least it appears so. We're not always so good at loving our neighbor, and perhaps it's because we don't love ourselves. In the last episode, I focused on ways to deal with change, loss, and the anxiety that comes with them, especially during the COVID-19 crisis. One of the suggestions I made was to show self-compassion, to not be so hard on yourself. As I started to think about this, I realized that's easier said than done, so I felt like I needed to go deeper. As I started to look into this, I realized what's really needed is self-acceptance. And there are two components to self-acceptance. One of them is self-compassion. The other is self-understanding. And to me, Self-acceptance is essential to self-differentiation. If self-differentiation is the ability to define your own goals and values in the midst of surrounding togetherness pressures, self-acceptance is the thing that will help you to see yourself as you are, accept it, then take responsibility for yourself and no one else. This week, a friend sent me a graphic called The Emotional Pyramid of Needs, developed by Harvard Medical School psychologist Susan David. She has coined the term emotional agility and has done a lot of work on developing the concept. The pyramid is a spin-off on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it lists six characteristics in order of importance required for emotional agility. They are gentle acceptance, compassion for self and others, routine, connection, courage, and reset. 
It would take an entire episode to fully unpack this, which I may do in the future. But for now, I think it's relevant that the base of the pyramid, the foundation, is built upon those first two concepts, gentle acceptance and compassion. To me, this is acceptance of self, others, and the situation, which leads to compassion for self and others. So let's break down self-acceptance. As I mentioned, one component of self-acceptance is self-understanding. And Leon F. Seltzer, PhD, in a Psychology Today article, The Path to Unconditional Self-Acceptance, says that self-acceptance can only come when we stop judging ourselves. And so I think the first thing that we can do to get to that point, to stop judging ourselves, is to begin with awareness and intentionality. When we are aware of what's going on in our head, and if we are intentional about regulating ourselves and our emotions, then we have a chance to reframe things, to look at things differently so that we can accept ourselves. One way I think this awareness and intentionality becomes really helpful is when we get clear on the stories that we are telling ourselves. According to Seltzer, prior to age eight, we are unable to formulate a clear sense of self apart from what is transmitted to us by our caretakers, that is our parents, other close relatives or caretakers. And it's nearly impossible for a parent or caretaker to communicate unconditional acceptance. There are just going to be some things that make them unhappy, that aren't going to be good enough. We didn't clean our room. We didn't do well on a test. We misbehaved at a family gathering ad infinitum. It is process, not content. And the process here is that as children, we're going to do things that make our parents unhappy. In general, parents are more likely to let a child know when they disapprove than when they are happy with the child. This is even worse if a parent or caretaker is overly critical. Regardless, most of us will end up internalizing some parental disapproval as rejection, which ends up becoming self-criticism as adults. We're not good enough, smart enough, good-looking enough, athletic enough, whatever. So what's the story you're telling yourself? It's always a good question when you find your inner self criticizing yourself. It is a good question to ask. What is this story I'm telling myself? Sometimes we feel pressure to conform to an image that our parent created or our family of origin creates. But sometimes that perception is only that. It's only perception that surrounding togetherness pressure is in our minds. It's not actually in the system itself. Sometimes it is real and we need to stand up to it, but oftentimes it's part of the story we tell ourselves. It's part of the script that is in our head. This leads to the second thing I think we can do to gain greater self-understanding, and that is to celebrate our strengths. So if we are being self-aware and intentional and we are reframing the stories that we tell ourselves to be more accepting of ourselves, then we can turn our focus towards celebrating our strengths instead of bemoaning our weaknesses. According to psychologist John Duffy in the article Therapist's Spill, 12 Ways to Accept Yourself by Margarita Tartakovsky, he says, quote, many people fail to see their strengths and cling to antique scripts that they carry about their lack of worth. 
So to counter that, he recommends making a list of strengths. Even if you can't think of any, try to write down one per day. Something like, I help other people. I'm persistent. I care about others. Whatever you can think of that's a positive trait that you have, and I'm sure you have many. Ryan Howells, also a psychologist, suggests detailing any hardships you've overcome, goals you've achieved, relationships and connections you've developed, and lives you've impacted for the better. If you listen to this podcast, you are probably in a ministry or an organization that helps other people. And so think about the ways that you have impacted people's lives for the better. Duffy says, quote, typically lists evolve as the script loses its strength and people recognize they are intelligent and creative and powerful and articulate and so on. Sometimes we can't see ourselves until we clear the weeds, end quote. What Duffy is saying is that even as we are trying to reframe those old scripts that are self-critical, that by celebrating our strengths as we do that, it will actually cause those old scripts to evolve into more acceptance of self. This approach is consistent with the Strength Finders movement that has been popular in leadership development. The general idea here is you should spend more time leveraging your strengths than trying to correct your weaknesses. This doesn't mean we don't try to get better. It means that our efforts will have more impact when we focus on our strengths and find people to work with to complement our weaknesses. Likewise, you can't be all things to all people. Each of us has strengths and weaknesses. Sure, we want to improve our weaknesses, but if the story we tell ourselves is all about our weaknesses, we're not likely to have self-acceptance. Self-acceptance starts with self-understanding, which begins with awareness and intentionality. Reframe the stories that you tell yourself and celebrate your strengths. This makes it easier to have self-compassion. Once we are able to rewrite the scripts that highlight our weaknesses and to reframe the stories we tell ourselves, we can go a little bit easier on ourselves. That's the essence of self-compassion. Give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. One way to do this is number nine on Tartakovsky's list of 12 ways to accept yourself, and that is to realize that acceptance is not resignation. It's a lot easier to give yourself a break when you acknowledge that self-acceptance is not giving in. Let's say you made a mistake and forgot to do something that you promised to another person. Just because you didn't do what you said you were going to do doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. Owning it and accepting it doesn't prevent you from doing better in the future. In fact, I would contend that when we own our mistakes while using self-compassion, we have a better chance of doing better in the future than if we continue to berate ourselves. Joyce Martyr, a psychotherapist, describes this as letting go of the past and the things we can't control. By doing this, you can put your energy into the things you can control, and that gives you power. Self-compassion, giving yourself a break when you mess up, is essential to self-acceptance. If you were perfect, you wouldn't have to worry about this, but none of us is perfect. I wrote a blog post about University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban. He has high standards. 
He expects hard work and attention to detail, but he doesn't want his players burdened by their mistakes. When they mess up, he famously says, so what? Now what? To me, the so what isn't saying that it doesn't matter. It's more like, it's over. Let go of it. What can we learn from this? And of course, the now what is, what can you do about it now? I believe that self-acceptance is not letting yourself off the hook. It's actually the path to continual improvement. It can help us manage anxiety in the short term and focus on excellence in the long term. Self-acceptance is a part of self-differentiation. It's not having some idealized picture of ourselves that is not in touch with reality. It's the exact opposite. It's actually knowing who we are. It's having self-understanding and knowing that we're not perfect, but being willing to live with it, being willing to own it, being willing to take responsibility for self. It's actually in that kind of self-acceptance that we then have the freedom to get better, to go deeper, to love more deeply and to be vulnerable. To me, these things happen because we are not critical of self, we are accepting of self because we understand ourselves and we have self-compassion. I believe we need this now more than ever. And that's it for episode 68. Remember that if you want to ask me a question, you can do so by going to the show notes and click on send a voice message. I'll get it and may even include it in a future episode as I will try to answer all the questions that you send to me. And remember, you can connect with me at thenonanxiousleader.com and sign up for my blog and two for Tuesday email. You can also go to network thenonanxiousleader.com to join our free community where we try to help each other on our way to being a non-anxious leader. So until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.